Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com. Sewers on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you spent any time by the pool or at the beach this summer, you might have encountered products made by Audiobomb. The Baton Rouge Company makes portable, waterproof, inexpensive audio equipment. We're talking mini speakers and such. And it keeps coming out with ever cooler products in ever cuter little packages. Soon the company's going to roll out its first non-audio product, so they'll still be designed for the poolside niche market. Joining me on Out to Lunch to talk about the early success of these products is creator Ned Pearson. Ned, welcome to Out to Lunch. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Audiobomb's products sell to those who want high quality sound in a convenient package. My next guest deals with sound and sight from a different perspective. She's Renee Vadrine, president and CEO at Lighthouse Louisiana, a social enterprise that creates opportunities for the hearing and visually impaired through education, social support, advocacy, and employment. Lighthouse actually puts its clients to work in three manufacturing facilities, one here in Baton Rouge, one in New Orleans, and one in Gulfport, Mississippi, where they make a variety of products, like paper cups, which are then sold commercially. It's a brilliant example of social entrepreneurship, and it's 100 years old. Renee, thanks for being here today. I'm so excited to be here. Well, great. We are looking forward to hearing about it. But I'll start with, with Ned. Your original product was a great little portable Bluetooth speaker, and then you realized a lot of people were doing that. So you came up with a unique niche, the poolside market. We have recently changed our business model because of the competition was so fierce. There's, there's, there's Beats and there's, uh, there's just so many brands of regular portable audio products out there, portable speakers. So we, we, our niche now is uh, waterproof, uh, swimming pool, outdoor industry, uh, hot tub industry. So, yeah. And this is really high tech stuff because <coughs> it's hard to make quality audio products that are waterproof isn't that true uh, yeah and we in some of our audio products we, we use a nanotech technology we put them in a barometric chamber they're infused with the with the vapor that goes into every nook and crevice of the, the speaker or charger and it just completely seals it seals it completely waterproof and and I think two of the selling points is that they're small portable and they're also very inexpensive how do you get all those factors to line up? Uh, well, you know, we design them. There, there's, there's different drivers you can put in these speakers to, to put more bass out in them. There's a lot of specs involved in it, but the way we're truly able to build them a cost-effective way is, is we build everything overseas. I do a lot of travel overseas and work with factories. Uh, in China. In China to right. do it that way. And when we've kind of established ourselves in the market with 
me being in retail too, I, I kind of know what the consumer likes to see with packaging and displays. Uh, so we designed great packaging, great displays, great products, and people were putting us around the registers in the retail stores. And, and this large sell-through is, is what our business model is. Hey, Y'all are getting ready to launch a new line of non-audio products. Tech is just not, you know, innovative. Tech is really not just electronics. It's in other things too. And, and Audiobomb kind of restricted us. So we have a new brand out, it's called Life Logic, and it's non-tech items that are innovative and just makes the whole poolside experience better. So and like what's an example of a product? Uh, well we have a waterproof phone pouch to keep your phone dry that we've come out with, and those exist on the market already, but what we've done is we have a heat reflector on the back that we've patented. Uh, a common problem at the beach or the pool is you have to tuck your phone in your beach bag. Because it gets you know, too hot. Yeah, I mean the rays are just beating down on your phone. Well, with our phone pouch, you just simply flip it over and it reflects the heat off. Very cool. Well, that's yeah. great. Well, we'll want to hear more about that in a minute, but I want to turn to Renee at Lighthouse Louisiana. Most people think, probably think, what they know about it, if anything, is that it's just another social service agency. You're actually a business enterprise. That's right, Stephanie. Our mission, or, or what we are trying to accomplish, is to create opportunities for people with all disabilities um, to succeed. And that may mean their employment, that may mean that they are um, able to take care of themselves at home if they're older, that they're able to age in place and not have to um, go and live in a nursing home or assisted living. Or um, it may mean that they're able to communicate with their doctor. For someone who's, who's deaf, the ability to communicate with a doctor or a lawyer is extremely important. I mean, you and I, or all of us, take sure. that for granted. And um, having that access to communication via um, an ASL interpreter is really important for folks. So we are, um, that's, that's our focus, that's what we're doing. We do that at the Lighthouse where we provide employment, um, making paper cups, custom paper cups that we sell to commercial businesses and plain white paper cups we sell to the government but also by looking for um, employers that are willing to take a chance on someone with a disability. Yeah, that's great. And that are um, willing to explore what kind of capabilities someone that has a disability has and what great employees they make. And so we go out in the community, we try to find jobs that match up with the clients that we have and put folks to work, so inside the lighthouse and out in the community in Baton Rouge. Now your manufacturing facility here in Baton Rouge is where exactly? So it is on Flannery Road, just off of Choctaw. Mm -hmm. It's about a seven acre facility, so it's, it's rather large. We um, have, did have about 40 people working there, but we are in the midst of hiring nine okay. new uh, employees, some of them to work in cut manufacturing some of them to work in shipping and uh, also on our new print press. Fantastic. How, how, what kind of volume do y'all produce, say annually? How many cups? We have, we have six cup machines. They make about 300 cups per minute. Wow. So about six or 700 cases a day. That's amazing. And, and your clients and customers are all over the country or do you mostly sell regionally? So I'm so glad you asked that, que <laughs> that question. Um, the big guys like Burger King and McDonald's, we really don't have the capacity for that. But there's that sweet spot, that just right customer who is a regional um, restaurant 
or a hotel or offshore services. I'll tell you, uh, locally here, we have uh, been selling to Bergeron's in Port Allen. Fantastic. Po'boy Express has been purchasing our cups and off the hook down in Thibodeau. So we have some good local customers and recently have uh, landed a, a great contract. We haven't even made the cups yet. They're printed but not made with Crispy Crunchy Chicken out of Lafayette. Oh, wonderful. Crispy Crunchy, if you guys haven't ever had it, it's gas station chicken. Right, right. But my husband swears that it is really, <laughs> really delicious and he loves it. Um, and he's picky about uh, fried chicken. But that we are selling to them a, uh, a 21 ounce cup and they asked ever so, so nicely, could they put something on the cup about where the cups are made? And we said, we would really love that. And so the cups are going to say, um, proudly made in America by blind and visually impaired employees at Lighthouse Louisiana. And we're so excited about that. They have about 1,800 locations. It's going to be a really huge deal for us. That's fantastic. And I guess that, you know, that, that purpose and getting that message across is so important and means so much, you know, to the, to the customer. It, it is. It's important for us to, we don't say to people, look, you should just buy from us because we employ people with disabilities. It is a quality cup, as good as any cup you're going to find anywhere else. It's made on the same equipment that Solo and Dixie or any other large manufacturer use. And the price that we provide that cup at is going to be a really good value, often coming in under, significantly under, what regional restaurants could buy from uh, Solo at. So uh, it's a good deal, business-wise, and it's a good deal for social responsibility. Well, and I think social responsibility is such an important sort of, you know, not just a buzzword, but an important concept today, you know, in marketing, in business. And we have a third guest today. His company is called The Oyster Bed, and, and his company is, is a purpose-driven business. He is Tommy Waller, and he and his brother make Armatel cookware for oysters that encourages oyster consumption from dishes instead of from shells, so that the shells can be returned to the water bottoms where they can be used to help restore the coastline. I hope I have that right. You can explain it to me in a minute. We met Tommy through the Louisiana Business and Technology Center. The LBTC is a business incubator that offers the resources of LSU to entrepreneurs and innovators. So we're glad you could be with us, Tommy. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. So I think I got right sort of what how, how the cycle works and, and how your company works. Tell us a little bit about the oyster bed. Sure, yeah, well it comes, uh, my brother Adam and I are, are two of seven children and this idea came about in a little family tradition that we have. Um, I'm in the Marines and, and every time I deploy, we'll just get together with a sack of oysters and a bunch of seafood and beer and spend Sounds time like together. Sounds like a good way. During this particular uh, family gathering in 2011, uh, before a deployment to Africa, you know, we, uh, we were kind of joking around about how difficult it was to shuck the oysters fast enough to keep up with the big family eating them. And uh, our mom actually made a comment. She said, you know, the, the lady that invented the, the redneck wine glass, which if you haven't seen it, is just a candlestick and, <laughs> and a mason jar. Uh, that she's a millionaire, you know, she, she's got seven kids. And Love you know, it. When, are, when are you guys going to invent something? So that, that little challenge got us thinking, you know, would it, wouldn't it be cool if you had something that you could use to take pre-shucked oysters, take all that labor and uh, effort out of shucking and cook them and get just the right effects. And so we, we tried a, a muffin pan, like a little cupcake dish mm -hmm. and it didn't work right because 
you know, when an oyster cooks, it renders fluid. And that fluid, uh, if it has nowhere to go, the oyster gets really soggy. And of That's course- That's the thing, it's the sogginess that you really need to guard against. So you don't want right? that, and you don't want it to be, you know, totally dried up either. So you'll, you'll probably, you've had char-grilled oysters before where everybody fights over that one shell that's just perfect, that has just the right amount of juice in it. And then the other ones are all dried up, or some of them are soggy. All the juice is poured out all over the table. Um, so we figured, you know, we could probably, we could probably make something that would be just right for it. While I was gone for about a year, uh, my brother Adam perfected the design and, and really figured out a way to make something that really wor works great. Um, the social end of it is mm -hmm. that, you know, throughout this process uh, of creating this product, we did a lot of research about the oyster industry. And an oyster reef is the most sustainable method of, of coastal protection because they continue to grow, right? Did not whether, know that. Yeah, whether it's a man-made or a natural oyster reef, I mean, you don't have to I mean, they grow, right? So if you can create an oyster reef, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what we found was that the oyster bed, when you eat pre-shucked oysters on the oyster bed, what you're doing is you're allowing those shells that are at the shucking house mm -hmm. to have the opportunity to go back into our estuaries, right? So the more that we can push oyster consumption with pre-shucked oysters throughout the state, throughout the country, the more shells we keep at the shucking house, the more of those shells can go back and create new reefs. So I guess the key though is to get good shucked oysters from a seafood market or from the grocery store or yeah, wherever, I mean, but as long as you get them pre-shucked. It makes it easier and it's and it's socially uh, you know, uh, conscious, I guess you will. It helps the environment as so long as those oyster shucking uh, companies, which most of them do, they don't throw them away. They don't throw those shells away. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a hundred years ago, you know, Louisiana tore up oyster reefs to make roads and now you know we're having to tear up roads to make oyster reefs so we're trying to what a great <laughs> idea to educate people about that and social <laughs> responsibility like you're saying is such a big part of of marketing today and that's obviously part of y'all's pitch tommy and and how much do y'all use it renee in in lighthouse when you're reaching out to potential i mean is it hard to get people to buy your product not on the paper cups on on paper cups a lot of our business, probably 90% of our business, is with the military. So we sell to the Department of Defense. And so we are the mandatory source for a large group of items. So it's not hard to get mm -hmm. those people to buy them. But when we're talking about selling commercially, cups, is, it's really not that difficult because the price is good. So actually, the, the social impact is um, it's just a bonus. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to talk to... Um, employers about hiring, taking that chance on someone with a disability. Um, it's, Im it's, it's important that they buy in to the, to the idea of social responsibility and the, the change that having a job makes for Absolutely. that person with a disability. Uh, the jo a job is the only thing that really provides a significant and immediate impact to someone with a disability. Puts money in their pocket, gives them a self self-esteem, gives mm -hmm. them confidence, and helps them take care of their family. It turns them into productive uh, members of society, taxpayers. It's a great model. Ned, I guess with, with Audio Bomb or LifeLogic, there's not necessarily a social responsibility message there. What is the marketing approach that y'all use? We've just deployed like 25 to 30 sales reps around the country. Um, and then they that sell last week directly actually. to they sell to, the to retailers. distributors. Okay. Uh, the distributors sell to retailers. We're going to take a little break, y'all, and do what we call the checklist. It's that part of the show where we ask you each a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So, Renee, I'll start with you. How has your management style evolved over time? Well, of course, when I was a younger person, I 
was probably a lot more headstrong, a lot more demanding of, no, do this, do this, do this, and, and uh, probably not as good a manager or boss <laughs> as I should have been. And through the years, I've had some really good mentors that, um, that helped me learn better how to, how to deal with people. But I, I will tell you, the one thing that has really changed um, the way I deal with people is um, my last boss, who was my predecessor at the Lighthouse, I hadn't been there very long, and he said, uh, he was talking to us one day, and he said, you know, you got to remember that every time you interact with someone, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to help, you're going to build that relationship you have with them, or your interaction is going to tear that relationship down. And so if you always work to in, in a way that's going to build a relationship, no matter what you're talking about or what you're trying to solve, or if even when you're coaching an employee, if you do it in a way that builds the relationship, and you're going to be better off. And I think that really changed the way that I manage people and a lot of the way that I deal with coworkers or, or colleagues or even probably the person at the grocery store. That's so. great advice. That really is. Tommy, what's your strategy for coping when things go wrong? Well, it's pretty simple. Just go to God. Just pray. Uh, I think uh, personally things happen for a reason. Uh, I personally am very blessed to have survived, you know, four deployments to Africa and Afghanistan and Iraq with the Marines. So one of the things that Adam and I did with a business is establish from day one, you know, what the why of our business was going to be. And I don't know if you've ever seen the little TEDx presentation from a guy named Simon Sinek. I have not. It's called the Golden Circle. And I know it's tough for your listeners to imagine this, kind of draw it out for you, but if you imagine every business has something they do, it's the what of their business. And imagine a circle on the, on the outside, that is the what. And inside that circle is another one, and that's how that business does what it does. And in the very center of that three-ring circle is why. So the why of your business uh, is so important because if people can connect with that, what you do and how you do it, the why comes through. And so we established from day one the why of our business was to bring people around the table and closer to God for that reason of being so appreciative of our blessings. The second thing was to help save our coastlines and the third to cultivate creative cooking. And so along the way we really have been blessed because our manufacturer, I mean we, we only have two employees in this company. Um, my brother So and I. far. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll grow. And our manufacturer takes care of all the things that we could never do ourselves. Hmm. You know, and we're a real company because a hundred year old company, Wilton Armitale, paired with us. But it was after we told them the why, the business, that they did. So Fantastic. And you know, I mean I think that's that's an interesting point because most people would tell you the why of a business is to make money. And that's what they teach you in business school. And I think so often it's really hard to reconcile that with, you know, the kind of value system that you are trying to live out through your company or you know that many people sure. try to live out the money should be a result of doing the right thing and if it's not maybe then you find something else to do all right we're going to come back to the well armatel because i want to hear about that but ned i want to ask you a question from the checklist who has been the most helpful person in your life in getting you to where you are today uh <coughs> hands down my dad um my dad's been in business <coughs> since 79. Pearson's have been in business since 79. Um, he worked for my mother's family, wraps, luggage in New Orleans. So he sure. 
you know, he, he grew up on a dirt road, farmer, you know, no money, and he's built a business, a steady business, and still survives to this day and does, does well. And he's taught me, in, as I grew up, reading financial statements, you know, all these things that I should have learned in school that didn't, I didn't learn in school. And he's taught me everything about business that, uh, that I needed to know and, and, and need in my daily life. Um, I don't know, he just drilled business, business, business in my head growing up, and it's been the greatest thing ever, and working with him has been the greatest thing ever. So ever any disagreements? Occasionally, but, you know, we're not like, we work so well together. It's awesome. That's really that is. really is wonderful. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's just brought me up in the right path, business path. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to do a round of questions now, and I want to ask you each the same question, and just give me your answer in a, in a couple of sentences. What is holding holding your company or your enterprise back from being where you'd like it to be? Maybe, maybe another way of saying it is, what's the biggest obstacle to you know to growth at this point? Is it funding or is it uh, you know something internal? For us, we we have seen um, we went through a really uh, down period. We had about forty three million dollars in sales in two thousand ten. That's and tremendous. Then, and then two years later, we were at $11.5 million. What happened? Our, our troops came home, and we're so glad that our <laughs> troops came home. But besides that, there were some changes in government and procurement where the government was uh, trying to push uh, federal buyers to buy from Central Asian contractors, trying to build up um, the infrastructure in those areas. And so, but it caused a lot of harm to us. We lost... Um, a lot of sales and uh, but right now we have seen that turnaround and and are up 30% from last year due to uh, commercial products and then due to just our really good sales team uh, out pushing our products so probably the number one obstacle that we have is going to it's we're going to hit our capacity limit and we're going to um, we're going to need more equipment. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good problem to have, and we good can work on that. Um, so I think that's probably our, our biggest obstacle as far as manufacturing. On the other side, as far as employing people with disabilities, it's educating employers. And sure. so getting the message out there about what people with disabilities can do and having people focus on their capabilities rather than what they are not able to do. Good answer. Ned, what's holding you back at Audio Bomb and LifeLogic? Uh, funding. Okay. Funding, definitely. Um, I think I think the sales are coming, <coughs> will come more. Uh, you know, as, as we as we have the reps out there, and, and I mean the interest is, I mean, it's really really good. The the funding meaning. Investors know, like VC or angel investors or just yeah, but I wouldn't be interested in just an investor putting money in. I need somebody that can help in different ways as well. Okay. You know, you know, money's one thing, I, but someone that can help in in distribution or or contacts and and help us that way. Um, when you're sourcing overseas uh, and and to be able to put things on containers and, and float them across the sea takes time. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you have the right had the right cash flow, sure. and, and us starting from nothing without money, um, 
It's got to be a challenge. It's very challenging because all of our money that we make just goes right back immediately into it, and we can't order quick enough to be able to fulfill. And Tommy, is that a problem <coughs> you've experienced, and it is. is that a challenge for you as well? Yeah, I think you know we were told um, early on from different mentors we had that cash flow is a big deal, and we're finding out why they said that. <laughs> you know, just like Ned said, in order to expand, I mean, you look at you know, the holiday season for us coming up, the oyster bed makes a great gift. Well, we need to have those in the warehouse. Sure. Um, and, you know, we ran a very successful Kickstarter campaign to, to crowdfund initially, but part of that was also to just put us on the map. Mm-hmm. We took a huge leap of faith for that. We were, you know, at the time, the, the most funded, the highest funded Kickstarter campaign in Louisiana history but it costs us a lot to actually do it right. And one of the things that so it costs... you have to actually put up money to, to do the Well, so Kickstarter, Kickstarter the way Kickstarter works is, you know, you make a video about this product, and normally they'll say, hey, here's a drawing or here's a plastic model of this thing I'm going to make. And if you invest, if you, say, put up whatever the amount is, you'll be one of the first people to get it. Well, over 80% of those Kickstarter campaigns, they don't fulfill what they promised on time, if at all. Huh. We did 100%. You know, everybody got their product by Christmas. Why is that? At least everybody who provided their address. There were six people that didn't give us address. <laughs> Why is that? Well, that's because we had a thousand of these things manufactured before we even, you know, the, the manufacturing started before we even launched. So in the video, we showed them a real product that's a leap it's on the grill, on right? Yeah. That's a leap of faith. That is a leap of faith. As far as challenges, specific challenges for us <laughs> this year, uh, probably the biggest one initially was to figure out how to comply with Louisiana e-commerce tax law. Interesting. Very interesting, because I think I'm probably one of the very few businesses that actually does. <laughs> um, but if you if you do e-commerce in Louisiana, you're supposed to pay for a customer in a parish that buys your product. You're supposed to pay a percentage of tax to that parish, depending, that, that percentage differs depending on where that guy lives. If he's in the city limits in whichever city or outside the city limits, I mean, you could have almost a full-time job trying to figure that out. So we That's incredible. And yeah, most so we businesses to, don't do that, probably. Uh, I have not run across a lot of businesses that do that. Um, so, you know, everything we do, we, we do it absolutely the best that we can, uh, that, you know, completely legal. But I would tell you that's for e-commerce businesses, if Louisiana wants to grow its e-commerce, it needs to figure out how to make that tax law more effective because to, to comply is, is difficult. That's a great point. Well, we'll end on that. Ned Pearson, Tommy Waller, and Renee Vadrine, it's been great to visit with y'all today and to hear about what y'all are doing to help the economy and to help the community here in Baton Rouge and Louisiana. So thank y'all so much for taking the time to join me here on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Ned Pearson of Audio Bomb, Renee Vadrine of Lighthouse, Louisiana, and Tommy Waller of The Oyster Bed. You can find out more about Audio Bomb, Lighthouse, Louisiana, and the Oyster Bed by following the links on our websites, wrkf.org and itsbatonrouge.la. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos of this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. The photos are taken by Ken Stewart. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new album, Puzzle, is out now, and you can find out more about that at mitchellforeman.com. 
You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. And you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com Thank you.